If you were a contestant on Top Chef and prepared risotto, you were probably going home. Risotto isn't really difficult to, to make unless you're trying to please someone else, anyone else. It seems we all have our own very inflexible ideas of what a proper risotto is supposed to be and how it looks, but is any of us right? Are all of us right? On this episode, I dive into risotto, so to speak, to see what's going on. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 126. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Help your kids build confidence in the kitchen as they make three courses for a meal. Subscribe to Rad Dish Menu Kits with my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com. Rad Dish Kids. That's R A D D I S H. K-I-D-S. About every month or so, my daughter gets a box with a menu plan, a gadget for the meal, table talk cards, some games, and a patch to iron onto her apron. The spatula she got this month is very impressive. It's really high quality stuff. Check out the options and see which subscription is right for you and your child as you learn to cook and measure, and follow orders of operations, and clean up. Click over to culinarylibertarian.com slash raddishkids to learn more. That's culinarylibertarian.com slash R-A-D-D-I-S-H-K-I-D-S. Perhaps other than American cuisine, whatever that is, Nearly everyone fancies himself an expert on Italian cooking. So, with so many experts, what exactly is the right way to cook risotto? The answer is far less plain than the question. I once quipped about minestrone soup that there are as many ways to make that soup as there are Italians to cook it. So, before we get into what is the right way, let's discuss a bit about what it is at all as a finished dish. Risotto is a rice dish which looks like individual rice kernels in a starchy sauce. It can be flavored with nearly anything from fresh herbs to good cheese to white truffle slices or pureed of things, sorrel, for example. Many years ago, when I was cooking in Manhattan, the owner took us to a place called La Madre for dinner as our Christmas bonus. The restaurant made a name for themselves for the wood-burning pizza oven in the dining room, but really for the Italian mamas in the kitchen cooking the risotto. La Madre, the Mama, was why it was named that. Both owners were friends, so we got a good treatment. 
A risotto course was adorned with shaved white truffles on top. Now, I've had them before that dinner. I knew their price and their value. The dishwashers, to their credit, tried it but didn't care at all for the dish. As the busboy came around carrying the uneaten plates as he circled around me, I nabbed all of them from him and ate up all of that white truffle risotto. Now, I'm pretty sure it offends some food god to let white truffle anything go to waste, so I had to make sure I was on the right side of that. Uh, actually, I'm probably 99.9998% certain that the busboy would happily have consumed it around the corner. Okay, now that I've bragged, what's the deal? Is it rice or is it more than that? Let's start with the rice. Rice comes in basically three distinctions, short, medium, and long grain. Risotto rice uh, in this country is you in this country is the US is usually arboreal rice, which like all rice for risotto is a shorter grain rice than you would get from say like an Uncle Ben's or a Mahatma. Short grain rices and medium grain rices are a little squatty and fat compared to their regular uh, converted white rice cousins. Short grain and medium grain rice also have more starch, which for a risotto dish is part of the beauty. Uh, you sushi makers or Top Chef or Iron Chef fans will recognize, uh, of course, sushi rice or glutinous rice as something that also is a very sticky rice. Risotto as a dish can be made from arborio, which is probably the most popular and most commercially available rice in the U.S. Now, I can't speak for other countries because I've not been there. The two main other kinds of risotto are carnarole and violone nanno. In most restaurants, I think arborio is probably what you're getting. For myself, arborio is acceptable, but I prefer it least of all to the other two uh, being what I mentioned, carnarole and violone nanno. Carnaroli is probably easier to find and closer in appearance to Arborio. Uh, the Villanueva Nano is smaller than the Arborio. Um, it looks, it's it's still rice shape, but it's kind of it's not roundish, but it's just it's smaller, uh, and, and it's harder to find. You can get it online, but I don't think you'll find it. In, in major cities, probably on the shelves, but I always bought it online. As basics go, three parts water to one part raw rice measured by weight is a good start. Now, I made risotto recently to verify that this works. Now, it looked close, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it was right on the edge. I actually thought it was going to be off, but it worked. Uh, I did have a um, one of those, you know, uh, teapots that you can push the button on and it automatically heats water to a certain temperature. I had that on standby just in case, but it worked. The challenge in cooking risotto 
is keeping such a firm ratio liquid to rice is because sometimes, well, things aren't the same. How hot is the liquid waiting to go into your risotto? How hot is the risotto pan? How well cooked do you prefer your final dish? Or how not well cooked do you prefer? Guidelines are good for a place to start, but if you use more or less, that's okay. That starch I mentioned a moment ago is not just one starch, but it's two. Sevier Magazine interviewed Machella Hazan about risotto, and she says, quote, Look carefully. Each grain has two starches. The translucent outside is amylopectin. The inside is amylose. They react differently to heat and moisture. The inside expands while the outside dissolves. That's why you must keep stirring risotto, end quote. I'll link this article in the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 126. It is worth the read just for her sass, but also for her impressive and immense knowledge. There's an interesting thing about Italian cooking over French cooking. The Italians are deeply, fiercely passionate about their food, but also about the flavor. Flavor is first. Flavor first is mostly why Italians don't like al dente vegetables. Their flavor isn't developed. Marcella tells Savior, quote, I am against crunchy vegetables. When they're cooked, they taste string beans. But before, they taste grass. In California, they don't even cook vegetables. They just show them the water, end quote. The process of making risotto is pretty simple and straightforward. Even here, we are at a crossroads. Water or stock? Marcella uses bouillon cubes. Water is probably more traditional, but stock is fine. Usually, a light in color stock, such as chicken, would be fine, fish would be fine, but a beef stock for a rich risotto would be fine also if it's appropriate for the final dish. Since flavor is the main goal, stock helps. Also, sound cooking helps too. Risotto is going to start with a small dice of some aromatic vegetables, usually onions and celery. You can add anything you want to at this stage for deeper flavor. Parsnips, fennel, mushroom stems, broccoli stems, diced up butternut squash. Pretty much anything can go into the first stage, which is called the sofrito. Now, as we go through this, I'm going to go quickly. We'll need a bit of white wine, the rice, the hot liquid, some butter for the pan, and then more butter to finish the dish, and some grated parmesan or parmigiano reggiano, or pecorino romano, cheese to finish, and then salt and pepper at the end. The process takes about half an hour. To cook the risotto, a saucepan is preferred over a saute pan since we want less surface area, which means less evaporation. Butter or extra virgin olive oil 
are the most common fats to start cooking, but use what you've got, especially if it's complimentary. Pork fat, chicken fat, beef fat, duck fat, goose fat, all of that's going to work if it's going to help to get to the, the flavor for the final dish or if that's what you want to have. The next question, how hot should the pan be? Well, not so hot that the vegetables burn, but hot enough to toast the rice. <laughs> Ain't nothing easy. So, let's start. Place a knob of butter. What the heck is a knob of butter? About half a tablespoon. Place a knob of butter into the saucepan and let it melt. Two different authors wrote, Don't worry about the butter melting. And another author wrote, Let the butter brown. So, somewhere in there, in that gap, is what you're looking for. Let the vegetables become translucent, then add the rice. Now, obviously, fennel and parsnips and carrots, if you use carrots, and carrots, by the way, is really very good. Um, if, you use, if you make carrot risotto, it's impressive. Instead of cutting them with a knife into small dice, use your box grater and shave them so you get long, thin pieces. You're going to get better surface area. It's going to be a lot easier to work with. and that the the you this is a crazy thing to say but it's not my words it's uh my my old friend jack shoop said <laughs> all the years of cooking it took making carrot risotto to figure out what a carrot really was about but that's another story um the onions will get translucent the fennel might but really be looking for for some cooking on that, we don't want any color, we don't want anything to brown. If it browns a little bit, this isn't a crisis. The relative high heat and the fat are important at this stage because now we are going to do the toasting of the rice. The rice goes into all of the stuff down there and stir it around with a wooden spoon. Get all of those rice kernels coated well. And we want to use our ears to sort of listen to the toasting of the rice. And we've, we've talked before about how when you have a hot pan and add something to it, well, it's just the, the math of physics. 350 degrees, I'm guessing, I don't know, and 70 degrees, you have less heat. And as the heat comes back, the pitch of the things in the pan will change, it will increase. So we're listening for the sound of rice toasting. And it's it's gonna it's kind of like a light, faint, crackly sound, but as it gets toastier and as the starch starts to get translucent, you're going to start hearing different things change. Plus you've still got the vegetables in there that are releasing liquid, which is also making a noise. We're toasting the rice to get that rice to that translucent state. So you're going to see it's going to look kind of, uh, well, clearish, like gel. And then you'll see inside that little tight bit of other, of, uh, of other starch. Now, the toasting is an important step. We want the rice to be, one, be coated in this oil. It's going to absorb like a teeny bit of it, but really we want the gelatinization on the outside starch to help keep the rice intact. It's going to swell, 
which is what we want, but it's going to allow for a slow absorption of the starch, which is what we want, uh, of, the, of the water, not the starch. Slow absorption of the liquid, and all this toasting helps prevent the rice grain from bursting open. We want it to keep its shape, so hold its integrity, release its starch, and absorb the liquid that it has. So once we got that nice toasty thing going on, we add a liquid. Which liquid do we add? Some people like to use wine, and there's the with the with the passion that comes with a convinced cook. Wine makes a nice addition. Uh, it's going to offer a little bit of a little bit of flavor when it's finally all re reduced out. It's going to have a little bit of acidity. Uh, I've read some people claim the wine makes the risotto bitter. Uh, I have not had that experience. Wine is much preferred, but it isn't necessary. The risotto police won't come and arrest you. The acid and starch together have kind of predictable results. Now, some sources say that the acid will help tenderize, tenderize the risotto grains. Now, that may be the case. I like the wine for the flavor. Now, one important note uh, about the wine, allow it to cook out completely. And how do you know that's going to happen? Well, you're going to look for a dry pan. So you have these veggies and this rice in this pot. So it's going to have some depth to it because you're not using a saute pan. Take your wooden spoon and just scrape the bottom. If, if the path you've made on the bottom of the pan remains, with nothing oozing into the path, kind of like the Red Sea, then your pan is dry. Uh, if it's still really wet, you want to get the you want to get that gone. And the, it's really important at the wine stage. If the wine isn't fully cooked out, then it, the I find, and not everyone does, but I find that wine, the actually the wine, you can taste it. Uh, I want the acid from the wine there. I don't want to actually taste like I'm drinking the wine. And I find that a, a, a detraction of a flavor in the finished risotto. I mean, once you add the liquid, it's not going to go away. You sort of locked it in. So get the pan nice and dry after the wine. If I don't know if this is important, but if there is somebody who is an alcoholic and wants to say it that way, I, I'm not saying they're going to go off the wagon because of this, but Alcohol doesn't cook out 100%. It cooks out 99.9%. .9%. So that's not a decision I can make for you. It's just something you should know. Um, so nice dry pan after the wine. Now we're adding our hot liquid, broth or water, whatever we have. For the first edition, we're going to add about a cup. Now, if you have a ladle that reads what size cup it is, or what size the measure is, two ounces, four ounces, that's an easy calculation. If you have one of those um, poly nylon something or other ladles, it's probably half a cup. Do two of those. This isn't, this is okay. Two ladlefuls is, <laughs> you know, not two quart ladlefuls. Uh, two kitchen-sized ladles is, is, is fine. And 
add that to your pot of rice with the evaporated wine and with your wooden spoon. You're going to stir, 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 stir. Now, don't stir urgently because you may splash it out and that burns and that's not happiness. We don't want that. To stir or not to stir? Well, here's another, another one of those controversy things and where no shortage of opinion exists. Mario Batali is of the mind that constant stirring risks breaking the rice kernels and is not necessary anyway. Marcella and many, many more are in the always stir crowd or at least stir with great frequency. Will the starch come out of the rice if you don't stir? Yes. The transfer of heat and the predictable result of that heat doesn't change because you do or do not stir. Is the result inferior by no stirring or less stirring? I don't know. I've made risotto with the stir now and again procedure, and I've made it with the babysitting procedure. Uh, if there's a difference, to me, it's a minuscule one. I'm going to continue with this in the babysitter method, which is we're going to be watching this a lot. Uh, in part, that is so that the majority of, uh, of, of listeners and cooks who have never made risotto get a sense of what's going on. It's to get to the no stirrup stage, I think you need a foundation of what's going on in the pot. And babysitting it is a good way to see how those grains are changing, what they look like as they absorb the rice, what happens as the starch comes out into the, into the dish. This is important stuff to see so you understand what's going on. And once you kind of get the hang of that, then you can try the Mario method of stirring, you know, four to five times in the duration of the dish. So let's get back to the pot with the toasted rice kernels and the sofrito. We've added the wine. And that's dry, and now we've added a cup of broth, and we're stirring with a wooden spoon to not splash ourselves. A wooden spoon is preferred for risotto over metal. Uh, one, aesthetic, or to the ear, metal just makes an unpleasant sound. There's the low yet probable or possible risk that there is some metal-to-metal -metal transfer into the risotto, but it's not gentle. Risotto wants to be treated gently, even though it's hot. It wants to be gentle. Wooden spoon is gentle. Uh, rubber spatulas, those heat-proof ones, they'll work. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced that 0% of the plastic doesn't come off into a dish in which the spatula sits for 18 minutes. So wooden spoons is the way to go. Uh, as you're stirring... Um, figure eights and concentric circles and just some kind of a design. We're not, this is like, we're not mixing cake. This isn't urgent. We're not making egg whites, but we want some, some movement in the pan. Make sure you're getting to the edges of the pan and on the sides because sometimes as you're stirring, you push kernels up on the edge and then they're left all by their lonesomes and they need to go back with their buddies. Um, so, just slow, steady stirring, and we're looking for the bottom of the pan to look dry again. Now, as we go here with more liquid, making more starch, that dry pan 
is going to look less and less dry because we one we have more stuff and two there's more starch it's not broth but we're going to call it brothy stuff so it's going to you're still looking for that path to sort of remain but if it starts to be encroached a little bit that's okay um, because things are changing and so we we are changing our our measure because things are changing in the pan the key for doing this cooking, so we've got this pot on the stove with some amount of heat going on in there. What's the right amount of heat? Uh, most cooks describe the right amount of heat or the how to determine that is to find the right heat level where the liquid doesn't evaporate more quickly than the rice absorbs it and not so low that the starch isn't extracted at the right rate. Big help, huh? This is a practice thing. In addition to the liquid evaporating too rapidly, there's a good chance it'll splash, and those little droplets of risotto starch balls are hot, and it burns a lower issue, but getting that evaporation wrong, or boiling it too quickly, one, boiling is violence, and that may break the rice, but it doesn't, um, what we're looking for is there's some range of proper transfer of heat for water in, starch out, and just deliciousness. Now, it's, it's a rather forgiving range, so it's okay. When the risotto starts to look dry, and I just mentioned how we're going to learn to assess that as we go on, add one ladleful of liquid, and then... Again, we're going to stir and stir slowly, watching it absorb, letting that starch stuff do its business, and then dry, add another one. As it cooks, this is going to grow in volume, of course, but you'll start to see the opacity change. Uh, where previously, when we first started this at the sofrito stage, we could see that little inside part of starch. Well, now we can't see that at all, or maybe just a little teeny bit. Um, and the, the previously almost clear outside is now very white. So it's, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. The question would be here is salt or no salt? Well, I read an abstract in an egghead paper which suggested salt impedes the swelling of starch. Well, that's a very good reason not to use it because we don't want anything getting in the way of our starch swelling and releasing its own self. So that's, that's an out. The better reason to avoid salt in the early stages is we don't know exactly how much cheese we're going to add and how salty is the cheese. If you're using a, a commercial stock, and there's nothing wrong with that, there might be salt added to that. Uh, there might be salt in your butter. So all of these small quantities of salt are adding to be bigger quantities of salt. So we're going to salt at the end of the dish, not in the middle of it, because we want, one, we don't want too salty, and two, we don't want to risk the starch not absorbing the water. If for some reason, You've added salt in the cooking process, and your finished dish is too salty. I have bad news for you. There isn't a fix. The only possible solution is make a small batch of risotto again, add that to it. Now, that fixes the salt problem. It doesn't do a thing about the 20 minutes that other dish sat there waiting for the other risotto. So, 
don't don't oversalt, otherwise get a big pitcher of water. I said that this whole thing takes about 30 minutes. 18 of those minutes is pretty much devoted to the cooking of the rice. That other 12 minutes is the uh, cooking the sofrito, toasting the rice, getting the wine evaporated, and then finishing it with the rice with the um, the butter and the cheese. So the starch can't tell time, but is pretty reliable at doing what it does with the application of heat and these liquids. We want to start tasting the risotto, which is really partly for tasting, but also we're we're checking for texture at about 16 minutes or when there's maybe one or two ladles left of liquid in your pan. Now I'm looking for nearly, I'm looking for a nearly cooked middle, a center that's not fully squishy, but not crunchy either. Now I've known a chef or two who preferred an actual bite in the middle where it was still like raw, starchy, gooey, crumbly, yucky, and say, no, thank you. I don't care for that. Uh, also, at about the 60-minute stage, this is where we're going to add garnishes, if we have garnishes, for our risotto. Garnishes. What are you talking about? If you're making artichoke risotto, now is when you add the cooked diced artichoke bottoms. If you're making chicken risotto or shrimp risotto, those things go in now. Now, there's a few things to keep in mind about uh, adding garnishes to risottos. All protein and nearly all vegetable garnish must be fully cooked. Uh, and so what we're doing is really what we're using the risotto heat for is to reheat that ingredient. So we're reheating the artichokes or the chicken or the shrimp. Some vegetables can go in, like I, I mentioned broccoli. I used um, chopped up broccoli stems in my sofrito and then added the blanched broccoli tops at about the 16-minute mark when I added also chicken to that. Uh, I have made it where I've put the asparagus tips in for asparagus risotto early, maybe after the first full addition of liquid. So as it's cooking, the heat of the risotto dish will kind of poach that asparagus tip to be done, nice and green and tender. It's also going to help sort of flavor every bite of risotto with asparagus. There's, since the asparagus doesn't have a protein um, foodborne illness problem, probably, we hope, then th that's okay. You could do the same thing with broccoli tops with cauliflower. can go in the beginning. The, the rule doesn't exist that you can or cannot. It depends on what you want the final dish to look like. How do I know that? Well, we do that a lot. Uh, what do you want for the flavor? If you want the asparagus on top has only asparagus bites when you get asparagus versus putting asparagus in early so Every single bite of risotto tastes like asparagus. That's a decision you make, but that's how you can get those contrasts or compliments for flavor and the rice. Uh, herbs, well, we can do a couple of things. At the end, so the things like salad herbs, say chervil and tarragon and basil, 
um, parsley. Um, cilantro is, but I can't even begin to imagine why you would do that. Uh, those go in at the end. Those strong, oily herbs, uh, rosemary and sage and lavender leaves from the, from not the, not the flowers. Well, I suppose you could. Uh, but the lavender leaves, um, oregano, marjoram, that can go in the beginning of the sofrito if you want, like the asparagus, flavor in everything. But they can also go in at the end in that last 16 or the last two minutes so that it isn't as potent or they can go on top. As long as they're chopped fine, because who wants a big old hunk of rosemary? There is a rice dish in the Veneto, Venice area, and then, you know, west, called Ristibisi, or some variation of that. Now, Mario was fond of this, and explained on his TV show uh, that the Venetians are very fond of this, and they like a soupier, risotto, one that kind of waves at you, and the word for that in Italian is alonda, and I apologize that I probably destroyed that word, but uh, to my understanding, it means wavy style. Now, uh, if you're making the soupier version, as, as Mario shows for the, for the Ricci or you're making a more classic, um, sort of stands up on its own risotto, in both cases, when the rice is done, and if you, the texture is how you want it, and you're satisfied, the garnishes are in, they're hot, the pan comes off the heat, and then you add the whole butter. Now, I use room temperature whole butter. You'll read recipes that say cold. I think cold is a poor choice because the heat transfer is going to, it's not much, but I don't, I don't want to lower the temperature of the risotto. I want, I want hot risotto. So room temperature butter and the and the cheese of choice. Parmigiano Reggiano, Parmesan, Pecorino Romano. Um, depending who you get or who you ask, you're going to get a different answer. It's your house, your food, do what you want. Uh, but that goes in off the heat because now we don't want we, we want the heat of the risotto to melt those items, the cheese the cheese and the butter, but we don't need more heat. We're done with heat uh, applied to the pan. Now, uh, one point I want to mention, uh, there are some chefs who demand the rice rest a specific period of time before you add the butter. Now, when you work for those guys, you do that. At your house, add the butter and the cheese as soon as the pan comes off the heat. Taste it again. Now, if salt is necessary, this is where you add salt, and it will almost certainly benefit from a few grinds or three of cracked black pepper. Now, you may have noticed I'm not being very particular about how much butter to finish the dish. That's a bit up to you. A knob of butter, about a half a tablespoon per person, is generally a good portion. Uh, and then about the cheese. Uh, generally, I do about a quarter of a cup of grated cheese per person to finish the dish. Uh, in some cases, I will drizzle extra virgin olive oil on top, and I know some of you are squirming in your seats, and more cheese sometimes. The squirming part is because there are some chefs and some Italians who they, there's just no way you put oil on risotto. Well, it tastes good. Flavor, baby. 
When I made this the other day, I sauteed mushrooms till they were very dry, and I put them on top as a garnish. So there was partly anesthetic, this nice brown color against this wet risotto. Um, but I did put mushrooms in the sofrito, but it was really mild. Honestly, I couldn't really get that over the, over the um, broccoli. But the mushroom on top, when, you, when I took a bite, now that was a nice thing. The basics are simple. The first key is mise en place. Have everything in place. Have your vegetables cut, whatever it is for your sofrito. Have your butter measured both for the sauteing and for the finishing. Have your cheese grated and please don't use the cheese, air quotes, in the green can. Grate a proper cheese. Use cheddar if you must, but avoid the green can. Have the wine measured, the wine for the pot, the wine for you. Uh, have your stock ready. Have your wooden spoon ready. Have your ladle ready. Have your plates and bowls ready, if whatever you're putting it on. Have everything done so you're not looking for something. Garnish, if any, is cooked, cut, and ready to add. Uh, in order, just as a quick review, hottish pan for the sofrito. Cook the vegetables till translucent. Add the rice and toast the kernels till they become translucent and you see that starchy middle line. Add the wine if you're using it. Cook it till dry. Add broth, portions at a time, stirring slowly and thoroughly between liquid additions. Add the cooked protein garnish about 90% of the way done. Add the last of the liquid, cooked to mostly dry. Add the butter and the cheese off the heat. Check the seasoning, adjust if necessary, then portion, finish, and serve. I will have a PDF on the show notes page of the basic, I don't like that word, so I'm going to call it the foundational recipe which you can use and then add anything to it. It will work for Arborio or Canaroli, Villanueva, but I'll have a PDF there so you can print that out instead of having to write all this down if that's what you're doing. Uh, I did work for a certified master chef who was rather colorful in his word choice. Now, not always profane, but memorable. For risotto dishes, stir with wood, play with metal. It sounds boring here, but in the heat of battle, it did have a bite. Now, I still hear him when I make risotto, and I shared that little bit with uh, my friend and his the chef at the same place, and uh, it turns out that Chef Todd still says that to his cooks. So, stirring with wood, service with metal. Serve the risotto as soon as it is done. Risotto doesn't favor waiting, as evidenced by those top chef contestants going home. With the kind of urgency that is Daffy Duck, Risotto says, eat me now, eat me now. All right, I want to get into just a little bit of history and, and some interesting agricultural stuff about risotto. But before I do that, let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his podcast, Tasting Anarchy. 
Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. The Po Valley in the north of Italy, kind of north central, is one of the main places in in Italy where the rice grows. Uh, the Piedmont region to the west, home of Turin, also grows rice. I think actually probably all the way even over into the Veneto they grow rice. Uh, in the case of Carnaroli, one company, I'm going to butcher this, Acreo grows the Carnaroli. This rice is what's in my cupboard, and that's what I used the other night. They are in Piedmont, and their farm is about the 45th parallel. So I got to tell you, that actually kind of surprised me. I used to live in Michigan and would travel on, on, voyaging through Michigan. We would travel over the line, the 45th parallel. I knew that was the case because the sign said so. You've just crossed the 45th parallel. But it snows like crazy in Michigan. Now, I expected rice to be at least a subtropical plant. So apparently it's not. So just sort of given a visual of that, here are a couple of other cities that are at or near the 45th parallel. Montreal, Canada is at 45. Minneapolis, Minnesota is 44. Portland, Oregon is 45. And Bangor, Maine is 44. Knowing that doesn't make you a better rice cook. I think it's interesting. I'm also a bit tickled that for so long, I was sure I knew something, which turns out not to be so. Rice grows in a climate that has a winter. Okay, so we've, we've got this foundational recipe. Now what? Well, Pretty much anything is possible, but we just have to sort of figure out how do you do that. You can add pureed green things. I mentioned that before with sorrel. You could use pureed spinach or whatever you like. Um, nearly nothing is off limits in a risotto. You just have to know when to add it. And so part of that we talked about already, oily herbs, Part of, part of this is how do you know what you want, and, and, and that's be by tasting and experiencing. That's the only way to find out. Um, the good news is you're probably not going to ruin it, and it's worth doing one, one, making the same risotto one way, then differently the next time to see what is going on. This is, this is, this is, this is experimentation. This is stuttering. If you put the risotto, uh, the rosemary in at the very beginning, every bite is going to be kind of, depending on how much you use, kind of potent because rosemary isn't shy. She's loud and says, here I am. If you use it at the end, then if you don't have a rosemary piece on your bite on the spoon, you're not going to get it. So it's, it's up to you what your preferences are and how much do you want to get of the thing. And that's a learning thing. So the good news is, you get to make a lot of dinner. 
I like time at the end because I like the brightness. Now, one of the things that's going to happen with the herbs, if you put them in the beginning, same thing happened with the broccoli and the mushrooms, is after 18 or so minutes of cooking, or a little longer as, as the sofrito part goes, the flavor changes. We're going to get a muted flavor. We're going to get it's going to give us a deeper layer, but it's not going to have the fresh, pronounced "here I am" flavor. Uh, raw mushrooms on top, unless there's truffles, that's fine. But raw domestic caps or creminis, that doesn't sound appealing at all. So I want to cook those in. I'm going to either put them in. Mushrooms have a tremendous amount of water. Like it's crazy how much water is in there, and you can't control it. So putting mushrooms in, it's like the middle of your cooking can really flummox your results because you're getting extra water into your risotto and you don't know why it's coming from the mushrooms. So saute them on the side as a garnish. Add them at that 16-minute stage, if you want to, to be incorporated, but make sure they're fully cooked and dry. Uh, otherwise, yeah. frustration and who needs frustration? Uh, there is the classic risotto dish, Risotto alla Milanese, which is porcini mushrooms and saffron, and in some cases, beef stock. And it is the classic accompaniment for a really awesome asambuco. I mean, probably could come with a crappy asambuco, but what's the point of that? In the case of saffron risotto, because we're looking for magnificent yellow, uh, that saffron, I chopped mine. Now, I put it on the cutting board. I put a few drops. Uh, you could use butter, but that's kind of weird to work with. A few drops of olive oil on it, and then I chop it. The olive oil helps create a surface tension because dried saffron threads, want to they, they get springy. They want to bounce around. So the oil helps hold them in place. And then it also makes it easier to scoop everybody up and to put them into the pan. Now, I put that in with the sofrito stage because I want the heat to draw the color out. And I want the heat to activate some of the flavor that's left. And the oil helps do that as well. And then I get that deep yellow color everywhere. This is a case where I want, I want saffron front and center, baby. I want boom. I want saffron and porcinis. Man, that's a good risotto. It's worth making. Uh, you can add lemon zest to your sofrito for a shrimp or lobster risotto. If you prefer to keep your risotto vegetarian, you can make a, veg bleh, a vegetable stock for your risotto and use that. If you buy truffles, I'm not telling you you have to, they're expensive, buy a truffle slicer. A thick slab of truffle is not better than a properly shaved piece of truffle. In fact, it's probably much worse. Uh, so nice and thin on the truffle, right on top. Let the heat of the risotto dish activate those truffle oils and perfumes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's just, oh, man. I can't afford a white truffle, but boy, howdy, that was fantastic. Uh, no matter what you do, by the way, we have one exclusion, which is the green can of cheese. Don't use truffle oil. 
even the one with that little dried hunk of who knows what in the bottom of the jar. In almost every case, the oil is scented with chemical synthetic aromas, and you don't want to know more than that. Before I wind up, I want to address this idea, maybe you haven't heard it, it's not a big one, that risotto can be made from orzo or potatoes or something else starchy. Now, it is true, you can make a starchy, creamy dish from orzo or potatoes and call it orzo risotto or potato risotto and earn praise for being clever. I've seen someone make potato risotto and that it had great flavor. It was nice and creamy, but it was mostly fancy mashed potatoes with uniform lumps. Starchy, creamy orzo was just poorly made orzo. You can make starchy, creamy dishes which resemble risotto, but they aren't. If you paint an apple orange, it's still an apple. Creamy orzo or potatoes are not risotto, no matter what you do to them. All right, folks, that's going to do it. As I mentioned, the uh, PDF recipe for the foundational for the foundation recipe, whatever, I can't say that, of the uh, risotto is on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 126. Uh, and the link for the Sevier uh, article with Marcella Hazan, because it's just kind of fun. And and she's fun to read about. And she's got a lot of sass and there's, what the heck, why not? If you're interested in making risotto a la milanese, you can probably get dried porcinis at your grocery store, and they're and that's fine. Get those. Uh, I would tend to avoid grocery store saffron, um, especially if it's powdered. If you see powdered saffron anywhere, avoid that completely. Don't get that because you don't even know what that is. Uh, saffron threads at the store is possible. The age on them is hard to know. Uh, the spice company I use, I've mentioned, is Savory Spice. They have saffron, and they have saffron that I would trust. I'll put a link to Savory Spice on the show notes page, or you can just surf over to culinarylibertarian.com slash Savory Spice. Uh, and that is a dish, even if you don't make the asabuco, which worth doing, uh, that's a dish worth eating because it's fantastic. Uh, please do share this episode on your social media feeds, and if you see it, give it a like, uh, and rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcatcher, be it Apple Podcasts or whatever you got. Uh, have a good week. Oh, I meant to tell you, uh, I have a new method for support on the show, on the support page, uh, which is the Venmo app. Uh, so you can uh, help support the show and keep us rolling with uh, the PayPal and the Patreon and now with Venmo. Uh, and I'm thinking about adding a Bitcoin thing to that, but we'll see. So have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.